This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Conspiracy Theories, and it comes from 2 Samuel 15, 1 through 12. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no space between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too. All you got to search for is WMER, Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. This week we're back in the book of 2 Samuel and we've been working our way through it. Today we'll be in chapter 15. But let me give you a running start or a reminder of what we've gone through. Saul was killed at the end of 1 Samuel. David was made king in the beginning of 2 Samuel, and he rose to his pinnacle that he's been at. God blessed him, and he allowed him to subdue all his enemies, to have wins over the Philistines. He subdued his enemies to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west, is what the Bible says. He took back Jerusalem that was part of the promised land. But as we saw in one of the famous chapters of 2 Samuel, David fell in a weakness a moment. If you remember, he was walking around in the palace. He saw this beautiful woman, and he had a bad thought. And that's what we talked about. We need to control our thoughts because sin starts with a thought. But anyhow, David acted on that thought, and he committed the sin of adultery. Then to cover it up, he committed murder. Anyhow, God knew about it, even though he thought he got away with it. He didn't get away with it, and he told his prophet Nathan to go talk to David, and that's exactly what happened. Nathan confronts him about it and says, you are the man. And immediately David repents of his sin. But Nathan says, you won't die. But he tells him in 2 Samuel 12, 10 and 11, that the sword shall never depart your house. I will raise up evil against you out of your house. And then that's what we started seeing in chapter 13. In chapter 13, we studied about Amnon who raped his half-sister Tamar and his brother Absalom found out about it and committed murder just like David did. But not only did Absalom kill his brother, but he also fled to Geshur where his mother was from, and he hid out in the king's palace there. And he remained there for three years. And David's chief general, Joab, said, hey, why don't you reconcile with him? And he uses a woman to do that. But after three years, there is this reconciliation that happens. And we studied about that, how God wants to reconciliate with us, how he made a way through Jesus Christ that we could have reconciliation and a way back to him. But after David allows Absalom to return to Jerusalem, he still wouldn't allow him to see him for two years. And then Absalom finally calls him out on it. And we ended with him bowing at the feet of the king and the king hugging him and kissing him. 
Well, today we'll see that Absalom wants to take his father's place as king of Israel. He wants all the power and he wants everyone to love and serve him. He wants to be in control and he's willing to take his father out to do it. Now, just like King David, he starts off with a small army. We'll see that in just a minute as we read this text. But it grows over time and we'll see over the next couple of chapters about how it becomes a civil war between he and King David. But there's a phrase at the very end of our text today that says, and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And that's why I named this conspiracy theories. Now we live in a time where there are lots of conspiracy theories. As a matter of fact, I go all the way back to JFK. There was the conspiracy theory that the government had him assassinated. You look at 9-11, People didn't like what happened at 9-11. There was conspiracy theories that the government allowed just 12 men to take out the two towers. When you look at the presidential race that we just went through, there's conspiracy theories about how it was stolen, how the votes weren't right. I don't care where you stand. I don't want to turn this into a political discussion. What I do want you to understand is that there are conspiracy theories. And probably the biggest one that I know everyone had to make a decision on was covid there was the conspiracy theories that it was created by 5G and the new wireless that's being rolled out for your cell phones. Other conspiracy theories out there about Bill Gates and worked with China and they created this as a bioweapon and then and he and the big pharmacy companies were going to make money because they would immediately be able to get a vaccine against it. Some say that it was created as a bioweapon that the U.S. military took over to China and let out, but it did more than they thought it would do and they couldn't contain it. There's a lot of deep state stuff going on. And you might ask Tim, why is there conspiracy theories? And where do they come from? Well, they come from from people not knowing the real truth. They feel powerless. They need to explain things. So they use unlikely events and they, they do take the pieces, parts that they know about and they make some narrative that goes with it. Then you have mainstream politics that come into play and how they look at that. But anyhow, conspiracy theories, most of the time, aren't true. There may be some truth in them, but most of the time they're not true. But I want you to understand that today we're looking at a conspiracy theory. That I read that to you right out of verse 12 about Absalom, but I want you to know that this is true. This is a true story. This is history. It's not conspiracy. Absalom wanted to take down his father and he's willing to do it. He wants the power. He wants everyone to love him. He wants everyone to serve him. He wants to be in control and subvert David's leadership. He wants to be king. It's not a theory. It's a fact. So with all that, I think we're caught up. So let's just jump right in. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 15. We'll start in verse 1. I'll be reading out the ESV. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is such and such of a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designed by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would go on and say, Oh, that I were judge in the land, that then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. 
So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Let me read that again. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. If you look back at verse 1, it says, after this. What it's talking about is after the reconciliation with Absalom, which was a weak reconciliation, Absalom decided to make himself look like somebody. He got him 50 men to run before him, and he rode in a chariot and a horse. Well, you might say, Tim, didn't that happen a lot from the folks of power back then? It really was a, a show of strength for the kings. Ancient kings did this. And Absalom rode in that chariot and had horses pulling that chariot and men running ahead of him announcing that he was coming. And then he sat at the gate. I want you to catch that. He would get up early in the morning. He would sit at the gate and he would tell the people that there wasn't a judge to hear him. Even though that's not the case, we know the Bible teaches us that King David would judge and he would give the right answer. But Absalom tells him there is no one appointed by the king to judge what you have to say. He was a true politician. He told people what they wanted to hear. And then it even says that he would hug and kiss them. Does that not sound like a politician? And I told you that he stole the hearts of the people. Absalom knew what he wanted, and he went after it. Absalom was working on self. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that we have to have desire. We have to have goals, and God helps gives us a vision. But we are to submit to him. We are to lift up Jesus. Everything we do should be pointing to Jesus. As a matter of fact, in John 12, 32, it says, If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What Jesus is saying is that point people to me, not to you. Point them to me and my Holy Spirit will convict them and I'll make them a follower of me. When we work in the ministry as Christian, everything we do should be pointing to Jesus. In Romans, it tells us there will be people that will create division, that will create obstacles, and we are to avoid them. And a matter of fact, if you turn with me to Romans 16, verse 18, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. What the Bible is telling us is that we need to be careful. There will be people that will come and they will tickle your ears. They will tell you what you want to hear. And if you're not listening to the message and if they're not teaching the message that we are taught in the Bible, if they point to themselves to make themselves look good, then they are not people that are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But their own benefit, their, their own appetite, their own flattery is what they're trying to get you to like. I would hope that if I teach stuff that doesn't match up with the Word of God, that you would hold me accountable. If you try to teach or a preacher teaches something that's not aligned to the Word of God, you would hold them accountable. And that's what Romans is telling us here. And what happens is sometimes teachers and Christians get caught up in this, what I call the spirit of Absalom. They get caught up in their flesh. It becomes less about what God called them to do, and it becomes more about them. The sad thing about all this is that Absalom is the next heir in the line of the throne. He would be king next by birthright, but yet he's not willing to wait. He has a desire, and he's going after it. And sometimes that's what happens to us as Christians. We have this spirit of Absalom, and we're not willing to wait on God. God may have told us something and all of a sudden, we want to go after it, but yet we do it in our own way. And we're going to see as we study through the next several chapters that this doesn't turn out good for Absalom. But anyhow, he goes after and he works hard. That's the first thing I want you to see. We saw that he got up early every day and he went to the gate. Now, that's where the business transacted, right there at the gate. And as people would come, he would say, hey, where are you from? 
Oh, I wish there was somebody to listen to you. And he would then tell them that if he was appointed or if he was king, he would make sure that they got their due justice. And then he would hug and kiss everybody. Again, like I said, that sounds just like a politician. But if you don't walk away from anything else today, I want you to understand about the spirit of Absalom. Because you will see it not only in church, but you'll see it in family relationships. You'll see it at work. Folks that are trying to get their leadership wherever they work or maybe people you know, you'll see it in your friendships. And just be aware of the spirit of Absalom. It's really about self. It's not about others. Now, the spirit of Absalom, I want to really break into three parts. First of all, it's attractive. And how do we know it's attractive? Because he says that he won the hearts of the people. They wanted what Absalom had to say. It also wants influence. Why was Absalom doing this? He wanted to be king. So it, it's a spirit of wanting influence. And third, as I've told you, it's self-centered. It's all about self. It's not worried about who it has to climb over to get to where it's going. Here again, Absalom was willing to kill his father to become king. So let's look at the first point, that it is an attractive spirit. Turn back with me to 2 Samuel 14, verse 25. Now in all of Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of the foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. I don't know if you remember this, but we just studied this last week. Absalom was good looking. Absalom's good look were evident. That's what the Bible points out. And he used them and whatever else he could so that he had people that liked him. You know, if you watch much of TV, you know that the evil people sometimes are the best looking. When I'm watching a show with my wife, I always look at who is the evil person. You think it would be someone that looks really evil. A lot of times it's a good looking person and they plant ideas and all the people want to be around them. They're the most popular people because they draw them in. And that's what Absalom did. But I want to remind you what we studied in 1 Samuel, that looks can be deceiving. It's not what a person looks like on the outside. It's the heart that matters. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But it's not only his outward appearance, but he also had this appearance that draws people in. The idea that this Absalom spirit is attractive is not to say that it's just a pretty person, but people are attracted to him. They're magnets. They tickle your ears. They tell you what you want to hear. So people feel like they're part of it. They want to be a part of it. And they get sucked in. They do a really good job of making you feel desired. Absalom did this when he talked to the people that came to the gate. And they get drawn in because they feel like someone really cares about them. Somebody noticed them. They make it sound good. They make the offer too good. They hit the lust of the flesh, whether it's power or money or influence, whatever it is, they offer that to them and they tell them what they want to hear and they get sucked in. This spirit is attractive because it tells them what they want to hear and it promises to give them what they want. It makes them feel like somebody noticed them. And so they're sucked in. They're drawn in. They feel desired. And because of that, they promise them power or they promise them money or they promise them whatever they're asking for, even if they can't deliver it. This is why certain people get elected to offices because they say what people want to hear, even though they never deliver it. How many times have you heard people, I don't know how they got in office because they stood on a platform and told people and promised them things that they never intended to deliver. 
So this begs the question then, Tim, if we can't look at the outside, we can't listen to their speech. So how then do we know if this is the spirit of Absalom or not? Well, we have to look at their fruit. Just because outwardly they have a certain disposition and they may sound right, they may talk right, they may do things. Do you remember the famous saying that says you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool people all of the time? What that saying is really saying is if you look at their fruit, if you watch them long enough, they're going to slip up. The outward appearance isn't going to equal the inner holiness that should be there. In 2 Timothy uh, 3, 5, it talks about that there will be people that have this form of godliness, but they won't have the power. And so we should turn away from those people. We have to judge a teacher or a Christian or a pastor based on their fruit that they have. We have to look at their marriage. We have to look at their family. Now, again, there are times that the, there's two to play in a marriage. Sometimes we can't control our kids, but we raise them a godly way. We look at how they handle situations. But the Bible tells us to judge someone by its fruit, discern the spirit. And when the Bible talks about discerning the spirit of the fruit, they're talking about whether or not they have a good influence or a bad influence on the people around them. Again, I can hear somebody saying, well, Absalom had good fruit, didn't he, Tim? I mean, people liked him. Well, we had to look at his motive. His motive was to overthrow the king, to kill the king, to become king. It was about him. He just told people what they wanted to hear. And that's why it's so easy to get sucked in. Also, like I said, Absalom wasn't a lazy person. He was a hard worker. He worked hard to manipulate people. He got up early in the morning and he made sure that he was first at the gate and no one else had a better position to change the possibility of influence that he would have. So we have to be careful of the attractive spirit of an Absalom. We also have to look at the spirit of influence that this person may be trying to have over that person. It's good to have a spirit of wanting influence, that wanting to help move things along, but we got to make sure that spirit is manipulative. A spirit that desires control and able to take things in the direction they want it to go, not necessarily in the way that God wants it to go. We see this in all organizations, in business, in families, in teams, and especially in churches. I know of churches, and I've even been in churches where there were families that manipulated things so it was about them and not necessarily what God wanted for that church. They do the same thing Absalom did. They didn't necessarily talk bad about the church or the people or whatever, but they were disgruntled and they would integrate lies into the message. But I want you to notice that Absalom and the ploy that he used, he didn't actually come out and just immediately revolt against King David, but he implemented half-truths or he implemented partial lies. And look who he looked for. He looked for the disgruntled, those that wanted to be heard. The disgruntled wants someone to listen. They're trying to get to the king, but before they can get there, Absalom grabs them and he gives them his lies. And he does this smoothly, just like he's disgruntled. He says, I'm not the boss, but if I were, this is what I would do. He doesn't talk directly bad against King David. He just kind of jumps on the bandwagon with them. In business, I've seen this before. I'm not the boss, but if I were... This is what I would do. And all of a sudden, this bad apple starts changing the culture of the team. Look, let me tell you, as a Christian, if you want to be the boss, do the right things. Do the things to get promoted. Don't go the route of Absalom. Don't undercut the boss. Absalom told them what they wanted to hear. He flattered them. He put out his hand and he even kissed them. 
He never let up. He was always working to get their love and their attention. Ultimately, the third and final point I want you to see about the spirit of Absalom is it's self-centered. It's all about itself. Yeah, it tickles the ears. It's an attractive spirit that pulls you in. It does what it can to get influence, but it's self-centered. It will say it will do anything to get what it wants. First, they make themselves look attractive by Absalom did this by having a chariot and horse and 50 men in front of him running. Then they got influenced by telling people what they wanted to hear. But ultimately, it was all about him being king. And he's willing to speed up the timeline and overthrow his dad, create a coup so he can get what he wants instead of walking along God's timeline. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says. If this is someone that is truly following what the Lord wants, then their spirit, their fruit is going to be different. We talked about that. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. As we've studied about Absalom here, do you think he was patient and kind? He seemed that way. Did he boast? Well, he kind of did. He kind of was arrogant by showing his strength and his power. He wasn't rude, but he insisted on his own way. He's resentful. He's irritable. He's grumpy. He's saying, I agree with you. I'm disgruntled on the way the things are. I want to do it this way. And if you make me king, I'll do it that way. He is rejoicing in wrongdoing. As I prepare for this lesson today, some commentators say that before Absalom killed Amnon, he already had a plan to kill Amnon. But him raping his sister Tamar just gave him the reason to kill the next person in line. Those theologians feel that Absalom had a spirit about being king and he was going to do whatever it took to get there. Other theologians say that it's the way that David handled this. David handled his son wrong and because he didn't chastise those, Absalom got an evil spirit about him. And he wanted there to be justice. And so therefore, David was no longer fit to be king. And so we see in verse 7 that Absalom plays out his plan for four years. And then he finally goes to David and he tricks him by saying, hey, I need to go to Hebron and I need to pay a vow that I made to the Lord. And so David gives him permission. And so he also sends secret messengers. And this is how we know that there is a revolt that's about to take place. In verse 10, it says, But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribe, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. In other words, Absalom is now king. David is no longer king because he's won their heart. And that's what we saw in verse 6. So Absalom stole the heart of the men of Israel. And so he takes 200 innocent men with him to go do the sacrifice. They know nothing about this revolt, but he sends for Ahithophel. That is David's chief strategist. We see at the very end, and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people were with Absalom and kept increasing. The spirit of Absalom has now created a revolt against the king of Israel, the anointed king by God. So let me wrap this thing up. How do you keep from being an Absalom? How do you keep from having an Absalom spirit? Well, first, you keep yourself from becoming an Absalom by being honest with yourself. Being honest with where is this desire coming from? Is this my desire or is this something that God has laid on my heart? It is by checking your spirit and it is by praying and seeking God's will. When you put God first instead of yourself, 
guess what? You won't have this Absalom spirit. God will open doors. He will allow you to be that boss if that's what you want to be. But God will do it in his own time. The second thing is you got to look at where is this desire coming from? What fruit is it? Some of the greatest sins come out of the fruit of our heart. Jealousy and envy and selfishness and ambition that's not centered around God. In Philippians 2.3, listen to what it says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem one another better than himself. Here, the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to write to the church at Philippi. And he's telling them, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of conceit, but do it out of humbleness. What I can tell you is that if you will ask yourself, what am I doing and why am I doing it? It'll keep your heart pure. I can tell you about a time that this happened, though. Someone was seeking what God was saying to them. But when God sent another person their way to talk to them about it, they wouldn't accept the correction. Listen to what Proverbs 12.1 says. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. The Bible tells us that we need to accept correction, that God will send people our way. Now, sometimes we have to check what that person is saying and make sure it aligns with the Bible because there are people that will operate out of a spirit of Absalom and try to correct us so that we'll do what they want us to do. But we need to accept correction. And most importantly, we need to submit to God's will. I'm totally out of time now, so let me close with this final thought on this submitting to God's will. I grew up listening to a song called Jesus Be the Lord of All, and it would talk about secret kingdoms in our heart, that we gave most of our heart to God, but we didn't give it all. But the song says, if you're not Lord of everything, then you're not Lord at all. And that is very true. We have to submit to God's will. We have to make him Lord of our life. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, then die to yourself and carry your cross every day. There's someone today listening to me that says, oh, I would never do this. I would never be an Absalom. But you do it to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords all the time. He's not Lord of everything. You are. You put God on a shelf and you only take him off when you need him. Jesus asked this very question. He said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? Why do you say that I am Lord of your life, but you don't obey my commandments? Today, don't be an Absalom. Don't try to take the throne. Let Jesus be the Lord of your life. Let him be the king, not you. Let him be in control, not you. Wherever you put your trust, that's what's in control. That's what is Lord. And some people put their trust in money. Some people put their trust in the world. Some people put trust in their family. All those things sound good, but they will all let you down. What I can tell you is that Jesus will never let you down. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So will you do that today? Will you make sure that he is Lord? Will you make sure that you don't have a spirit of Absalom? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I pray for each and every one that hears my voice. Lord, I pray today that they will check their heart. They'll ask, why am I doing this? What am I doing? What is the motive behind it? They'll seek you to make sure that this is something that you want and it's not them personally. Lord, I pray today for those that may have gotten off on their own fleshly plan. They've gotten off the path that you had for them. Lord, I pray today that they will come back to you. Lord, I pray today that they will lay it at your feet and they say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, help me get back on the right track. Lord, we know that you will do it. Your word tells us if we'll just ask for forgiveness, Lord, if we'll just make you, Lord, that you will help guide us, your word will be a lamp unto our path. 
Lord, maybe there's one that has never done that. Lord, maybe they've never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today that they would do that. Lord, they would admit their sinner. That's half the battle is admitting that we need you as Lord and Savior and that they would do that. They would believe on the final work on the cross, that your final work there where you took our sins and you nailed them to the cross and you overcame death to give us eternal life. Lord, they would believe on that with their heart. They would confess with their mouth they're a sinner and they will chase after you. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.